Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. W-P-H-A-T. You're listening to the number one health and wellness podcast, the place where health and consciousness connect. Perfectly Perfectly healthy healthy and tone tone radio radio. with your host, Darren McDuffie. And now prepare to get fat. What's cracking peeps? Darren McDuffie here, alias Fat Man, because I help you become perfectly healthy and tone and conscious, of course. You're listening to episode 170 entitled The Diet Hack with Tim Steele, brought to you by PerfectlyHealthyAndTone.com. Did you have a chance to go back to listen to episode 169? Hopefully you did, but if you didn't, I would strongly urge you to go back and listen to that episode. I did that episode with Grace Serpa Lopez entitled Achieving Digestive Bliss. If you haven't listened to it, Grace is a sufferer of Crohn's disease and she was able to put her Crohn's into remission by using holistic means, including Ayurveda, deep breathing, and yoga. And she is no longer on any medication. Very fabulous story. Like I said, I would strongly urge you to go back and listen to that podcast. Today's episode is with Tim Steele entitled The Diet Hack, and it is episode 170. You may remember Tim from two or three years ago where I interviewed him on the potato hack. He lost a lot of weight just using potatoes, and it really shifted my paradigm of what I thought people could eat and lose weight and what I thought people couldn't eat and lose weight for a long time. I thought that if you ate starchy foods, there was no way you would be able to lose weight, but I've since shifted what I thought, shifted my beliefs more so, and I believe that you can lose weight with just about anything, but the problem comes in where losing weight and then maintaining that weight loss that's the big problem and that's what we discuss in Tim's book the diet hack and we discuss many more things on this episode so let's get into Tim's bio and get this thing cracking here is Tim Steele's bio Tim has a master's degree in biotechnology after leaving the military Tim's weight skyrocketed to 250 pounds at the advice of his doctor he switched to a diet thought to be healthy consisting of foods such as whole grains after following the diet for a while he noticed he wasn't reducing his weight. It was then Tim decided to do research and began to hack his weight using potatoes and other methods. Coming up on episode 170 with Tim Steele, the diet hack. Here's what you're going to learn on this episode. Why don't people know how to eat healthy? I explain on this podcast that I've interviewed several people and it always is a consensus that people don't really know how to eat healthy. Why is that? What is the job of a food lobbyist? Tim goes over the Grocers Manufacturer Association and why they are really powerful food lobbyists and what they actually do. How can artificial flavors lead to weight gain? There's a lot of things being placed in our food. And if you've noticed over the past years, since these things are being put into our foods, many people are having issues with their weight. And Tim and I discussed that on this episode. What is the importance of having a healthy gut for weight loss? We discussed that on this episode as well, and it will astound you to know that you need a healthy gut in order to get to your weight loss goals. And that's probably one of the reasons why many people are having issues because their gut isn't healthy. What is Nova? We have the food plate. We had the food pyramid, but we go a step further. Tim goes a step further rather and explains what Nova actually is. And the last question is, why are dieting and weight loss and maintenance two totally different things? And Tim goes on to explain this in a podcast, but he also separates these things and tells us why they are two totally different things and how to achieve success with weight maintenance. Without further ado, let's get into episode 170 with Tim Steele entitled The Diet Hack. Thanks for listening to episode 170. I'd like to apologize to you in advance for the poor 
audio quality of this episode. I'm not sure what happened, but I tried everything to make the audio quality a little bit better. And also near the end of this episode, there is an airplane in the background. I live near the airport, but I'm not sure if it myself or Tim was the culprit on this particular episode. But again, thank you for listening and keep listening because things always get better. I'm still welcome to Perfectly Healthy and Tone Radio. How are you? Great. Good to have you back, man. You We had you on in 2016, I believe, 2017, somewhere in there. I know it was about two years ago and you had the potato hack, but now you're back with a new book called The Diet Hack and it goes above and beyond. So I'm excited to get into the book tonight. But before I do that, can you give us a brief synopsis of your health journey? How did you get started? Yeah, sure, Darren. Well, uh, really, I was in the military for 21 years and you know, while you're in the military, you're exercising and been in good shape and you have you know, yearly fitness tests and all that. So when I retired in 2004, I was about 40 years old and kind of swore off exercising and decided I was just going to eat whatever I wanted to eat. And within about two years, I gained 40 or 50 pounds and uh, I firmly was in the, the, the metabolic syndrome. You know, so I, I, I was gaining weight, my blood pressure was up, cholesterol and everything. And so I, I lived with that for a couple of years. I was getting on all kinds of different drugs for blood pressure and, and cholesterol. I had gout really bad, fatty liver disease. I mean, everything, pre-diabetic. And uh, I, was, I was doing everything the doctors were telling me, and I still wasn't losing weight. And I started, you know, searching the internet, trying to find ways to lose weight. So I came across sort of the paleo, the low carb diet. I did those for a while and they worked to lose some weight and really got into it and started increasing the carbs and increasing the fiber and found that that was really helping too. So over about a year, I lost nearly a hundred pounds and I've kept it off for, it's going on almost 10 years now. I've kept the weight off. And during that time, you know, I, I, I really, I was helping a lot of other people and connecting with a lot of people and found different ways to lose weight and to help other people lose weight. So, so yeah, my first book, The Potato Hack, was just kind of a, a fluke to write that. It was just some things we talked about on the internet about losing weight by eating potatoes. But after that book's been out now for three years, I've, I've learned a lot more about losing weight and keeping it off, and that's what brought me to the second book, The Diet Hack. Yeah, and this is it's a really good book. Like I said, you went above and beyond because I think a lot of books get into the science of why we're gaining weight as a society, but you went into more of the solutions and how you can actually keep the weight off. But one of the things that struck me in this book, and I wanted to talk to you a little bit more about, is we seem to have this obsession in our society that if you're skinny, you're fit. But if you're overweight, and I know some people will say fat, I don't really like that word, but I know a lot of people can identify with it, so I will say fat. But if you're fat, then you're unhealthy. And you seem to kind of attack that statement in your book saying it is possible to be fit and fat. So I wanted to get right into it and ask you to kind of elaborate on that on that statement. Yeah, that, that's exactly right. And I think a lot of people who are trying to diet really don't need to go on a diet. And the BMI and the waist measurement, which I have charts for those in the book, those are really good measures of if you really need to be on a diet and also some metabolic markers like blood pressure, cholesterol and all that. I mean, if you're if your BMI is in a normal range or even slightly overweight range, you know, but not obese and your waist measurement is under 40 inches for men and I think 35 for women, it's like you don't need to go on a big diet. You can just start eating better and, you know, you can tone up a little bit, be perfectly healthy to, uh, to borrow your catchphrase there. And yeah, a lot of people don't need to be on a diet. That's for sure. So do you think that we are too accommodating in our society of people that are overweight. It seems like it's gotten to the point where it's acceptable to be overweight in our society. Yeah, that that's a tough one. Um, I think what's become unacceptable is talking about dieting because diets just don't work. So everybody's giving up on, you know, diets like Weight Watchers. They change their name to WW just to make it sound like they're not a dieting program. And all these, you know, keto programs, they talk about, you know, eating whatever you want. And if you don't lose weight, you're still healthy, even though you're metabolically unfit because, you know, you've got high cholesterol and all this stuff. And see, see uh, I think people are coming to terms with being heavier now, but I think really they need to be looking at how healthy they are as opposed to what they weigh. 
And if they are a little bit overweight, that's fine as long as they're healthy, you know, with metabolic markers. And uh, yeah, yeah, so I think that, you know, the, the media still likes to present the, the slim bikini body, and that's, you know, they, they really, that sells, of course. Mm-hmm. But I think people in general are just so tired of dieting that, that, that they, a lot of them have just given up on it. They, they're just comfortable with, with being heavier than they should be. And even if they're unhealthy. In, in your personal experience, Tim, you were someone, because I looked in the book and you had pictures of yourself when you were overweight and then you had pictures of yourself when you were slim. I think you got somewhere up around 200 and some odd pounds, I want to say two. Yeah, it was about 250. 250, that's what I thought it was. So 250 odd pounds. At that point in time, before you decided to do the research and get more into learning about how I can get rid of the extra weight. Did you know how to eat healthy? Because I've done a lot of podcasts <laughs> over a couple of years and I find the common denominator with people that I'm speaking with um, interviewing is that most people did not know how to eat healthy. Would you say that you knew how to eat healthy or was there some type of contrast in there where you're like, okay, uh, I know what I think might be healthy. Yeah, I did not know how to eat healthy at all. And I was trying to do what the doctors and the nurses and the nutritionists were telling me, which was eat lean meat, eat whole grains, eat lots of salads. So, you know, salads, of course, come with lots of ranch dressing. And I was still eating fried foods and I was I was snacking. And a lot of the whole grain foods that you eat aren't really whole grain foods just because it's sweet bread doesn't mean that that's got a lot of fiber in it. And so I, I really was just eating wrong, just completely wrong. And so when I switched to the paleo style diet, what I, it wasn't so much the carbs or the grass fed or whatever, but I think it was just more of giving up the processed foods that I was eating so much. I was eating so much fried food, so much breaded food, you know, and, uh, and, and also started exercising. That was a big part of it too. But, but yeah, I think most people don't know how to, how to eat and they're, they're reading food labels and they're looking at, macro ratios, you know, fat content and protein content. And then, you know, they're chasing these these numbers, you know, so many grams of fat or so many grams of protein. So they're buying bars, you know, protein bars that, that have they're just filled with uh, terrible ingredients. And they're just they're, they've gotten away from eating real food. Do you feel as though at some point I, I know through my own personal spirit, I have to think that I was addicted to some things. Do you feel like you were addicted some to some types of food you see you mentioned fried food but were you addicted to any like sugary foods or things of that nature oh yeah i mean i am sure <laughs> i still have a fondness <laughs> some of those things too you know it's hard it's hard to not be really especially when you're eating fast food and when you're eating you know packaged foods potato chips and ice cream and stuff it's like yeah you just can't stop you know, I know I'd get home from work and we'd always have a jar full of Oreos or chocolate chip cookies. And I'd grab a handful of those as soon as I walked in the door. And, you know, yeah, that stuff is definitely addicting. It definitely is. Yeah, I, I'm with you with the cookies, man. I know I would do that same thing and come in and grab a couple of cookies before the before the evening is over and I hop into bed. I'm down a canister of cookies because I'm sitting yeah. there eating cookies. Oh, oh, yeah. And I need a whole can of Pringles. One sitting, no problem. I wanted you to explain this whole food thing because I found out about this through the pharmaceutical industry. As you and I were talking offline before we actually started the interview, there were a lot of things that I found out that I didn't know when I was an outsider in the industry. But how do these foods come about specifically with lobbyists? And what is the lobbyist's job for the companies that they represent? So the... The food manufacturers, which, you know, we call big food, like big tobacco and big pharma and all that. So, so big food is, I mean, billions and billions, probably trillions of dollars worldwide of selling packaged processed foods because it's shelf stable and people buy it. They can really market it. They're, they're competing against real food. They're competing against bananas and apples and oranges, which growers can grow and sell. But they want people to go in the store and say, I'd rather have a packet of goldfish crackers than apples. So in these, these foods are so much cheaper to produce and there's a higher profit margin than growing produce and real food. So, so it's, it's hugely marketable, profitable for the 
companies to make these foods and sell them. Mm-hmm. And people have become accustomed over the years to what these foods need to look like. You know, they need to be bright white, you know, frosting and need to be crispy and, you know, have that mouthfeel and salty and all that. And uh, so, yeah, and the stuff that they're putting in there is just terrible. They're putting chemicals. There's thousands of chemicals that are legally allowed to be put into foods and not even put on the label as long as it's, you know, under a certain weight within that food per serving. Even though people are eating, you know, 10 servings of the food regularly, like we talked about cookies, you know, serving size is one cookie. We're eating 10 of them, you know, so, so the things really add up what we're getting and putting in our body. I, I think in the book there that everybody's eating like several pounds of you know, added chemicals a year just through these processed foods, you know, and, and uh, there's, you know, antibacterial compounds and, and there's terrible foods in there. But yeah, and everybody knows that they're bad for you. There's studies that say it, but the lobbyists keep it down. They go to Washington and they, they lobby just like people lobby for everything. And they, they keep the food laws intact. To, to for for the food manufacturers, as simple as that. And one of those, I think, one of those organizations that you mentioned in the book was the Grocery Manufacturers Association. Yeah, they're the biggest lobbyist out there, and yeah, they spend. Uh, I I I don't know if you'd ever know the truth of what they spend, but yeah, they they're a constant presence on Capitol Hill lobbying for food industry rights. You had, I think, it was like a page and a half in the book as I was reading, where you had various lists of artificial flavors. And I didn't know. I I mean, I interview people. I think that I'm pretty conscious of food and all these things on them. But I had no idea there were so many different artificial flavors that could be added into food and then they, it still be considered food. Yeah, wasn't that, wasn't that cool? Yeah, so I'm looking here. One, two, three, four, almost five pages of chemical names. And, and I had to put them down to like, number two font just to fit them in the book <laughs> yeah so otherwise it, otherwise it would have been 15 or 20 pages and those are straight out of the the u.s code of federal regulations those are allowable chemicals in the food that we eat and don't most of them don't have to be and most of them aren't even on the label and in that list did you notice i highlighted six of those items uh like some Mercine and Culigon and some other ones, and those have been banned this year because they're carcinogens. And of those thousands of chemicals, you know, I'm sure more than those six. It just happened to be that FDA happened to look at those six for some reason, for probably some other study, and they found them to be carcinogenic, and uh, so they so they banned those six. But there's still just thousands and thousands of things they could put in our food that that are completely artificial. Are these artificial flavors and i know they have natural flavors too that aren't really natural but are these things adding to our weight because it seems like 15 maybe 20 years ago there weren't all of these chemicals i i'd i'd be remiss and say go back to 40 years ago there weren't all these chemicals in our food but seems as though since we've had all these artificial flavors natural flavors and the chemical added chemicals within our food it seems like with that addition our weight has also skyrocketed is it a fair assumption to say that we have these chemicals are actually adding to our weight gain over the years as we get as we progress and get more mature as from children to adults yeah, I would definitely say that's a fair assumption. And I think one thing that, that the FDA and, and governing bodies don't look at is how these chemicals affect our gut. And now everybody knows, you know, if you mess up your gut, you're going to get, you're going to gain weight and uh, you're going to have other metabolic problems. And I think lots and lots of these chemicals are just as bad as taking antibiotics and they're altering our gut flora and cause, you know, look at all the gut diseases out there, Crohn's and IBS, IBD, all that. I'm sure that lots and lots of that is, is a big contributor is all these uh, additives in our food. So, and I, I wanted to ask you this as well, because in the book you talk about gut health, and that was something that I really wasn't all that aware of, that we must have good gut, gut health in order to kind of combat the weight. So what's the importance of having a healthy gut so you can kind of combat weight? And I think in the book you mentioned that those people who did not have a healthy gut seem to have weight issues or weight problems. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the, the gut is, I think, going to be the center of, you know, centerpiece of research for the next 
20, 30 years until they can figure out how to manipulate gut flora. Big Pharma would love to have drugs that would uh, help us fix our guts, but the only thing that fixes people's gut is good food and lots of fiber and staying away from these things that disrupt it. There's, you know, lots of probiotics on the market, and for the most part, it's a waste of money because if you're not eating good food, those probiotics just pass right through and you just wasted a lot of money on that. So, yeah, I mean, the gut health is, is important, but, and there's going to be a lot of people trying to make money off of that, but it's all going to be a waste of time and money because what you really just need to do is eat better. And that means stay away from those ultra processed foods with all those additives and get back to eating real food. Going back to the artificial flavors and, and the natural flavors, you'd mentioned in the book, a substance called titanium dioxide. And I thought that was really important for the listeners to know actually what it is. And I kind of connotated to the, I've always thought about it. And the way that you explained it in the book was the, the white stuff that goes on top of the, uh, <laughs> on top of the Twinkie. That could be, right. be one of them, but talk a little bit about tit- titanium dioxide and why it's one of those things that you kind of pulled out of the book to explain a bit more about. Yeah. So that's a really interesting one there. So titanium dioxide is, is, it's a product of the earth. It's a pigment from certain rocks that are in certain parts of the world. And there's actually a titanium dioxide manufacturers association. And they're the ones, you know, it's just one company basically that's providing all this to, to the food industry. And it's in so many processed foods. I had no idea chewing gum and any frosting, um, a lot of ice cream and anything, basically anything that's white, that's bright white has titanium dioxide in it. There's a couple things that don't white milk, whole milk doesn't. But pasteurized, uh, like, like the low fat milks, that all has it in there. Because if you, if you try to make these foods at home, like if, I don't know if you ever tried to make mayonnaise, it's not white. You make it at home, it's like kind of a yellowish, grayish color. But you buy mayonnaise at the store and it is bright white. And you look at the ingredients, it says, you know, eggs, oil, salt, whatever. It doesn't say titanium dioxide because it doesn't have to be on the label. It's very rare you see it on the label, and it's only if it's over a certain uh, weight per serving, like you know, like one or two grams per serving, that it'll be on the on the label. But this stuff is really bad for our health, and it's outlawed in several countries now. Se- several companies, like Dunkin' Donuts, just stopped using it because I think they see the handwriting on the wall that they're going to have to get ahead of it because it's gonna it's gonna be illegal soon to put in food. I I, I am pretty certain. And it's bad, it's bad for the gut. It's, it's, it's a real fine pigment. So you just need to add a little bit to your food and it turns it bright white. You can buy this stuff on Amazon. You can buy a tub of titanium dioxide if you want to make, you know, your own frosting at home. And you can put this stuff in there. It's basically just a, a pigment. It's used in white paint to make paint white. You know, it reflects white paint, the white color spectrum really good. So, so if you put a, you know, a gram of this stuff in, in some frosting, it makes it bright white. People are just eating this stuff like crazy. We're probably, you know, if you're eating processed foods, you're, you're probably eating a spoonful of titanium dioxide a day. Whereas, you know, the FDA says it's okay to eat like a gram or so, you know, as directed, you know, just a little bit, but people are eating so much processed food that they're getting so much of this titanium dioxide in their system that it's just, it's just causing all kinds of health problems and no, nobody's nobody's really saying anything and that's that food lobby. Yeah, why are we so far behind? You mentioned that other countries, I would say Europe is a little bit more advanced than we are when it comes to banning certain chemicals in, in food, but why is America seems to be so far behind in 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 really taking a lot of these things out of food? And I think it's accelerated a little bit. Are you familiar with the food, babe? Uh, No. Okay, so she's she's kind of the one. Um, her name is Vani, Vani Hari, and I believe Hari. Don't I think that's her last name? But I don't know if I'm pronouncing it right. But <laughs> but she's she calls herself the food baby. She's kind of taken on a lot of these corporate companies, a lot of these food companies, and got a lot of the additives out of the food uh, within the last couple of uh, couple of years. I know that she did something with Chick Fil A, and she's done something with a number of different food food distributors to get them to take the additives out of the food that they're adding now. But again, going back to the question, why do you think 
we're so far behind in getting these harmful substances out of our food. I think it's just about the money. I think, you know, the food lobbyists are, are paying people to keep keep any kind of legislation out of, of keep this stuff allowable. The FDA is overwhelmed with everything. They don't have enough people to go and test all these products that have gotten into food over the years. And, yeah, it's just it's strictly about money. It's about There's two other areas that I thought were really important when I was going over the book and reading it. And I don't think that they get mentioned enough. And I wanted you to talk a little bit more about them. And that is sleep, the importance of sleep, because it seems like our society, our mindset around sleep is that you can sleep when I, when you die. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's the mindset. And then stress. A lot of people are stressed. And what I realize, even when I get stressed, I have to constantly tell myself not to reach for something to eat when I'm stressed out at work. The first thing I want to do is go to the vending machine and get some peanuts or something like that, which aren't all that bad. But I know I could go and get worse foods. I could get potato chips. But those two areas, I think, are very important to talk about. And I wanted you to elaborate on them a bit more. Yeah, and I think, too, those are overlooked a lot in uh, the dieting world is sleep and stress. Uh, and I know what you mean about sleep because I'm in Alaska right now. It's sun is up 24 7 for the next couple of weeks so it's really hard to go to bed <laughs> everybody up here is really you know yeah running around the clock but but yeah you have to definitely get into a good sleep cycle and that, that is huge for, for weight control and for your overall health or metabolic health you have to have a good sleep cycle shift workers get it really hard and i feel sorry for shift workers because it, you know, they're, they're just living so, uh, you know, outside of a normal circadian rhythm that, that they, and shift workers are, are known to have a lot more health problems than every, anybody else. But yeah, everybody else, I mean, needs to just put away the electronics and try to get a good eight hours in bed every night. I mean, that, that is huge. If you're, if you're way overweight, you know, obese and you're not sleeping and you're working shift work, you need to make some lifestyle changes to where you can get a good night's sleep and, you know, find a job where you're working day shift because your health really does depend on it. Go ahead. I was just saying I had a friend and he was, he does shift work and he was asking me, well, what can you do? I was like, there's not really anything you can do other than see if you can get on a day shift. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That really is. You know, there's, there's a lot of things people will sell you. They'll sell you, you know, blue blockers, sunglasses and melatonin supplements and things like that. But I think for the most part, you, I mean, Maybe there's a way you could, your body can get adjusted to it, but I just don't think so. Because most of the time when you're working night shift, you're under artificial lights, you know, and you may, may not even see the sun for, you know, months at a time. Who knows, you know? But yeah, it's just not good for a body. You know, if you have to do it, you have to do it. I mean, you gotta, you gotta work. You have to do what you can do to provide for your family and that. But the best thing to do is try to get off of it as soon as you can. You mentioned, early in the podcast about metabolic syndrome. What is metabolic syndrome? And is it is it one of those things where it seems to be taking over, <laughs> taking over America? Yeah, I think so. I mean, w- when you see guys who are especially over 40 have a big belly and uh, they, they're more than, I mean, almost they all have metabolic syndrome. If you start talking to them, they're all taking blood pressure medicine, cholesterol medicine, they got high triglycerides. And what these guys all have in common is they're eating really bad food, they're not exercising, maybe they're not sleeping right, they're stressing. Uh, so of course they have bad gut health and then the medicines that they take just keep the gut even in worse shape. You know, and so metabolic syndrome really is a cluster of metabolic dysfunctions, you know, it's it's like high blood pressure, high cholesterol, high triglycerides, accumulation of body fat, fatty liver disease, all these things joined together. It pretty much ends diabetes, pre-diabetes first, and then full-blown diabetes. And at that point, you're, you're just a uh, at the mercy of your doctor giving you pills to survive because you, you have to take, you, your blood pressure is going to be crazy high. You stop taking the pills and some, some of these pills you take are actually making you sicker as you take them, but they're making your metabolic markers fall down into range, which is making your doctor happy, but you're getting nowhere better to getting off of these drugs. So the best way, I mean, you have to just 
give up all the crap processed food that you're eating. Start an exercise program. Try to get some sleep. You know, get out of the stressful situations that you're in, and uh, work with your doctor and start weaning yourself off of those drugs. And it can be done. I did it. I know a lot of people who have done it. But once you get into that into that loop, it's a death spiral. I mean, your life is shortened, and you know, you end up with cancer. And it, yeah, that's that's the modern yeah. the modern way. This is what I think um, one of those. I will call it an oxymoron because a lot of the, and you touched on this in the book as well, and about medicines, like a lot of the blood pressure medications that people are taking for blood pressure causes them to gain additional weight. And there's some other medications out there as well that are, that do that. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's right. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of medicine. And one of the side effects is that you gain weight. And a lot of times, you know, you're overweight metabolic syndrome and or or what for the ladies polycystic ovary syndrome is one that causes weight gain and uncontrollable and a lot of the drugs that they give you to uh to help you with the symptoms of that the side effect is gaining weight and uh it's just, yeah it's just just a endless loop you know it's hard to get out of that um we have we used to have the food pyramid now we have the food plate but you mentioned something in your book that I wasn't aware of and that is the nova and, and I guess this was from Brazil. Some Brazilian scientists thought of this. But explain what, what NOVA is and why it, to me, it's more important than our food plate or our old food pyramid. Yeah, that's great. You know, I came across that a couple of years ago. I'm not sure what year they they devised that, four or five years ago. And yeah, they, they divided foods that we eat into four categories. First category is unprocessed or minimally processed food, and that's you know, that's your whole, whole foods, beans, fruit, vegetables, meat, you know, milk, eggs, honey, things like that. Those are whole foods, you know, foods that we eat whole. And then uh, the second group is, is ingredients that are processed slightly that make the first group more edible, like salt and maybe some table sugar and, you know, the different spices that we use to, to make the unprocessed foods more edible that you can, you know, make, make meals out of. And then the, the third group is what they call processed foods. And these are like, uh, so processed foods would be like things that are canned, you know, pasteurized, where they take whole foods and package them so they're shelf stable. But they're still basically pretty much whole foods. So, so it's not, you know, a lot of people say you have to go on a whole food diet. You can only eat raw vegetables and that. You know, that's not really true. There's some processing that doesn't destroy the, the nutritive value of the food and it's okay to eat occasionally you know along with your meals it's just not bad but then the fourth group and that's the group where most people get most of their calories and that's the the fourth group is the ultra processed food and these are all the candies cookies cakes breads juice drinks baby food think things that are just completely i mean mostly uh are industrially processed they they take the the three cheapest calorie sources in the world which are vegetable oils wheat and sugar and they use that as the basis by adding these emulsifiers and flavors and that and they and they make thousands and thousands of food products that we eat every day you know look at hot pockets i mean there is like nothing in a hot pocket that is natural and i used to love hot pockets i don't know about you then you pop them in the microwave you got this gooey ham and cheese thing that is tasty and you know it's you can eat them, but I mean, you look at the ingredients, it's like those things are just terrible. You know, they use the white flour that's processed, you know, all there's not a single gram of fiber in there. It's the, the meat they use has been processed and cured and nitrates and flavors and, you know, it's just terrible foods that we're eating. And most people are getting like 75 to 90% of their calories from that group four of the Nova chart where we should be getting. 75 to 90 percent from first three categories the unprocessed foods and the minimal minimally processed and then just a few of the cadbury cream eggs you know one of them a year is probably enough but mm -hmm. you know a bag of doritos you eat a handful of doritos a couple times a year rather than sitting down eating a whole bag every day which which i was guilty of i, I used to take a bag of doritos to work and i'd eat the bag you know in a whole in a day and yeah. uh yeah, and, and, and the same as the vending machines. You know, you mentioned peanuts earlier. A lot of those peanuts aren't 
I mean, they, they even have weird stuff in them. If you look at the ingredients, they have all kinds of vegetable oils and flavors, and right. you, know, you know, they make them smoky flavored or something like that. I mean, they didn't smoke those peanuts to give them that flavor. <laughs> yeah. they, had, they added something to it. Yeah, the ones that I have at work, sometimes I'll eat those, but they don't have any chem- chemicals on in them because I've checked them. But I've seen a lot. Uh, is it planters, cottonseed oil? I'm right, like, yeah, <laughs> it's hard to find. St- yeah. yeah, I know the same thing. I, I grab a thing, oh, some peanuts, you know, get those. And you look and there's the ingredient list. There's more stuff in the peanuts than in the potato chips. <laughs> mm-hmm. You break your book down in a couple of different sections, and one of the sections I really like being a former fitness person i'm a trainer along with every every else thing that i've done in my life (laughs) but this is a constant thing that i always tell people and i've seen people in the gym beating themselves to death to exercise to lose weight what is and i've i've told people this and you can disagree with me or or you know, agree with me, but I tell, I tell people all the time, exercise does not make you lose weight. And I think you said in the book, you had a different opinion that it doesn't help you lose weight, but it in fact may make you gain weight. Is that correct? Yeah. I I believe that. Yep. (laughs) I've seen it a (laughs) hundred times. I mean, I've seen it myself. You know, you start a new exercise program, it makes you hungrier, but you know, but, but the thing is, once you get down to it, you, you need to get healthy. And to be healthy, you need to exercise. You know, and a lot of people think they can just continue to eat the total terrible foods that they're eating and do an hour on the treadmill every day and lose weight, and those people are going to gain weight. I guarantee it. But once you get the whole thing in, you have to add exercise in there to get your metabolic health back, and that's going to help keep you lean. That's, that's going to help keep you healthy. And uh, you just have to do it even if it makes you gain weight. But if you're doing everything else right, exercise shouldn't make you gain weight. It should help weight loss become easier. And But most, I, I mean, the statistics on people that exercise to the recommended amounts, it's terrible. I mean, it's like less than 80, like 85% of people don't exercise to the recommended levels, you know. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's, yeah, so it's like, 95% of people who are on a diet fail, and 85% of people aren't exercising. So, I mean, that kind of tells you that that's a big factor in, in weight loss and weight maintenance. I wanted to ask you about this thing with Ansel Keys because I've found that Ansel Keys' name has come up in several different places. And one of the places you mentioned in your book was the Minnesota Starvation Experiment. I've also found that he, I read a book a while back called the, um, oh God, I can't remember the book, but it was about the, the using the, the, uh, plutonium, uh, on to find out how plutonium reacts with the human body. It's called the plutonium, the plutonium files is what it was called. But he came up in that book as a proponent of fluoride as well. And then also he came up for the whole cholesterol thing. He's the one, the reason behind why people fear cholesterol with the experiment that he did but let's talk a little bit about Ansel Keys and that whole Minnesota starvation experiment and why it was so important for I would say for people who are looking to achieve a uh, achieve weight loss yeah Ansel Keys is great I mean he gets a bad rap in some circles a lot of people don't like him like you said because of the cholesterol thing and I think it's largely been debunked that he was actually right on all that and maybe some of his findings got taken out of context and or used in a way like for big pharma to to you know push statins on everybody right but you know keeping cholesterol low but i mean cholesterol is a part of our you know it's from our diet we're eating a bad diet we get high cholesterol that doesn't mean you know all foods with cholesterol are bad but you know there's definitely better ways to eat so, you know, Ansel Keys, another thing I found out about him, maybe you didn't know, he is the, uh, the, the first person to coin the term Mediterranean diet. And, and he wrote, a, he wrote a book, The Mediterranean Diet or something like that way back, you know, in the, in the fifties. And, and he moved to Southern Italy and lived to, I don't know, almost close to a hundred, I think, eating a Mediterranean diet. But everybody ignored him back then. It's like, and not now the Mediterranean diet is pretty popular. And uh, if you go on Amazon, you can find his old Mediterranean diet books. And I think soon I'm going to write a, a another book. It'll be the Mediterranean diet hack. 
because it's so good. And <laughs> yeah. I'm going to get Ansel's book, and I'm going to and I'm going to rehash a lot of his words. You know, giving him credit, of course, because mm-hmm. I think he was way ahead of his time. Yeah. Way ahead of his time. I thought it, it's just weird that he comes up in so many different things because in the Plutonium Files, out of that, there were so many people that were mentioned in there that were connected with the whole floor why fluoride is in our water now and he was one of them and when i, I didn't re- know that I, i'm curious about I'd, I'd like to read that yeah, yeah i'm looking yeah. because fluoride, fluoride is interesting i didn't realize he was connected with fluoride so yeah, I, he, I made a note here i'm gonna look that up yeah it's called the book is called a plutonium father i read it like one or two years ago and the whole basis was they were looking to see how plutonium for the the bomb would at, react with people and there right. were a, a number of different scientists that were in that book, but I know specifically Ansel Keys was mentioned around the whole thing of fluoride. He was one of those people that were somehow connected with the plutonium, plutonium files, but also connected with why we have fluoride in our water right now. So he's, Ooh. and he's in several, like you said, several different circles, several different things about him, not just cholesterol, but there's some other things that about him that are, I found really startling. So, yeah, I was kind of blown away. Your last, uh, or one of your last guests, Julia Ross, who wrote The Craving, mm-hmm. she mentioned Ansel Keys on your on your last podcast, mm-hmm. and I was like, I was like, yeah, I think <laughs> she and I must have been reading the exact same things when she wrote her uh, Craving Cure, and I wrote the Diet Hack. I mean, I bet if we look at our reference sections together, we probably have like you know fifty percent of the same references because we both came to the exact same conclusions on that. And dieting is hard on the body. And that study, the Minnesota Starvation Experiment by Ansel Keys, it is, is like a perfect example. And, and I was just blown away that the people were eating 1500 to 1800 calories a day and starving. And if you look at the menus, they were eating good. They're, I mean, they, their starvation diet was better than most people's diet that they're eating today. I mean, they're, you know, look through there, they weren't eating any processed, you know, the ultra processed factory type foods. They were eating, you know, green beans, milk, cheese, butter, bread, you know what I mean? They, they were eating good, just good, wholesome foods. And at 1500 calories a day, they were losing weight like crazy, you know, two, three pounds a week, which is a perfect weight loss diet. But these guys weren't obese to begin with. You know, they were, they were lean, you know, hardworking young men who needed 3,500 calories or more to maintain their weight. So they cut their calories in half down to 15 to 1,800 calories and they were losing weight, you know, just like, I mean, like clockwork, like you could make a, uh, a mathematic formula out of their weight loss just based on, you know, the calories they were ingesting. But yeah, Ansel Keys was really interesting and it's hard to argue with his findings on, on calorie counting and weight loss. Do you feel like we have a bad sense of body image? Because it seems as though people who are skinny want to be more skinny. And then you have the people who have weight on them. They're trying to deprive their bodies and dropping all of these calories. And then for some reason or another, they fall off the diet and then they end up gaining the weight back. Is it because we have this distorted view of a body image that is causing us to do this deprivation without realizing that? Hey, um, I'm going to at some point get off this diet and gain this weight back. And in a deeper sense, in that, that same question, do we diet just for events? Do we diet just for like, I know a lot of people, I just want to lose a couple of pounds and go back to my high school reunion or my college, my college reunion or, you know, whatever. Are we just doing this, all this stuff for a short term fix? Oh, yeah. I mean, and I think this is all the media's fault over the years. I mean, the media presents, you know, they make they make it seem like if you don't look skinny, you're not healthy. So everybody wants to be skinny, even though they're not eating the right foods to be skinny, they're not exercising, and they're maybe not genetically prone to being skinny. You know, I mean, genes are a huge part of it, how you're going to end up looking, and the models in these diet programs are, are not the average person you know these people have never had a weight problem for the most part and, and an, an overweight person is never going to look like the, the bikini model for the most part i mean it's possible sure but but yeah the media has really i mean done a number on the public by making them think that we have to you know have a six-pack in the bikini body and all this and the, the pe- people really want that 
but really people just need to be healthy. And you know, the what you talked about losing a couple pounds for a family reunion, there, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I think it's kind of sad when people do it just for that, lose a lot of weight and then go right back, you know, without any plans of trying to maintain. But, uh, you know, there's, there's so many crazy programs out there designed to drop weight. Have you seen there's one where they actually sew a patch onto your tongue so the eating becomes painful? And that's, they're selling like crazy that, that, and, uh, no. there's, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, no. there's another, they, they put a feeding tube into your stomach and, uh-huh. and you put your food in, in with the syringe. You don't, you never taste the food and you get like 600 calories a day for so many weeks and you'll lose weight, you know, but you know, there's just so many things that people do to lose just a few pounds. Mm-hmm. And in the book, I talk about that. That's vanity, dieting. Right. And, and there, there's no problem. I mean, yeah, just, you know, try some things, lose some weight. The potato hack is great for that. I hear people all the time thanking me because they were able to lose 10 pounds for their, for their family reunion or class reunion. And then they want to know, how do I keep that weight up? And that's really what brought the second book on is, you know, the fast weight is, I, I think when you go on a diet, you should try to lose weight fairly fast, you know, not 10 pounds a week, but, you know, a couple pounds a week anyways. And, and uh, when people go on diets and they're not losing weight, they need to get off of that diet and find one that is working for them. Yeah, I, I would, I, I'm going to agree with you on that. And interviewing you two years ago really changed my whole mindset around losing weight and what is possible because for a long time, I, I, I believe that you had the, the chicken breast and, um, What's a from uh, brown or scoop of brown rice and something broccoli. else? Yeah, and broccoli because that <laughs> was always for bodybuilding or whatever for yeah. fitness. That's all you ever saw in the books. And then talking to you two years ago, it's like, oh, you can lose weight with with potatoes. So it really changed my whole mindset. I think anything works, but I think the biggest thing is like you just said is the fact that how do you keep it off? You can, it's easy to lose. You can go on drink grapefruit juice for eons <laughs> or eat potatoes. But I think for most people, it's when they rebound, they go back to eating regularly is when they put that weight on. And in the book, you, you talk about that before, before I wanted to talk about that. But before I do, you were at two, 250 pounds at one time and you got your weight. You're at what? 160 something. Now? Yeah. I got, I got a, I got a few pounds below 160. I hit the 150s. That was my, you know, big goal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. So, so if you had to do this, you know, a lot of stuff now, but for those people out there who are listening, who might want to go ahead and lose the weight, what we knowing what you know now, what would be your plan of attack? You know, I would probably do about the same thing that I did back then which was try different things. And when they stopped working, I moved on. I didn't get wrapped into one diet and, and you know, defend it to the death. Cause you see that so many times people get on the, like right now it's the keto diet and they're defending this thing with, with every, you know, fiber of their being that the keto diet is the only way to eat and they're not losing weight. And I, <laughs> I see mm-hmm. it in real life. I see guys all the time on the keto diet and they haven't lost a pound in, you know, months and months. And, uh, but let me, uh, I'll stop you there because I want to ask this question. Why do we plateau like that? Because you, you see people that they have success with something for a long time and then they plateau. And you talked about that in the book. And I think that's important for the listeners to know why people actually plateau. Yeah. You know, as you drop your calories and you're losing weight, your, your body reacts and uh, your body needs less calories. So you just need to continually reassess. How many, you know, what you're eating in, in your exercise and, and all that. And you're, it's just a natural reaction. Even Ansel Keys, when he was starving the people, he was seeing plateaus in their weight loss. And he would have to, you know, what he did when he saw these plateaus, he, he had their diet so dialed in that he would just give them like one slice of bread less a day. And that, that would be enough to start the weight loss again. Or if they were losing too fast, he would give them an extra slice or two of, of bread. You know, it's just which was, you know, you're talking like 100 calories a day, and that would get the weight loss moving back in one direction. And I think a lot of times the plateaus are, are self-imposed because you're losing weight, you're feeling good, and then you think, well, last week I ate that bag of potato chips so I can get away with it again this week. And, you know, and, and you're losing good, but all of a sudden it's like you, you, the 
calories start creeping up. And uh, I talk a lot about in the book that calorie counts are really, really misleading. to be up to 20% off on packaged foods and, and even on real food. So it's hard to say exactly how many calories you're getting, but if you're plateauing and you were losing weight and all of a sudden you plateau, you need to eat a little bit less to, to get the weight loss going again. But you also have to be realistic. At some point, maybe you've lost all the weight you can, and cutting calories too far is also detrimental. That's a stressful situation, raises cortisol and things like that, right? So right. so you can't cut too far. You have to be realistic, you know, and make sure your calories are in a good range. But, yeah, the body is just such an amazing machine, you know, how it adapts to everything that we do. So going back, and I asked about your plan of attack, but adding to that is how do we – keep that weight off and i don't know if you you just said that is this just simply reassessing your calories over time and just keep readjusting over time but i wanted to ask that question again just to make sure we we, we covered it so dieting weight loss dieting and weight maintenance are two completely separate things and i think that gets lost in most diet programs like when you see but like the keto diet you know they don't really talk about weight loss or weight maintenance. They, they just talk about the keto diet or low-carb diets. But it really needs to be two separate phases. You need to come up with uh, you know some goal weights. And once you get down to that goal weight, then shift gradually into a long-term eating plan where you're not so obsessive about calorie count and you're, you know, you're not so obsessive about uh, every morsel that you eat, but you're just living life. And, and hopefully during your weight loss, program you learned what good foods are and what bad foods are and uh, there are just dozens and dozens of ways to eat differently you know intermittent fasting uh, low carb diets low fat diets you know I, I, I outline how, how many 20 or so of them in the book different ways to eat for maintenance that aren't really good they wouldn't be good weight loss plans but they're great weight maintenance plans And for weight maintenance, it's really just about good habits. And along with that is a good exercise routine, sleep, stress, and uh, working out those medical problems that might have been making us heavy in the first place, Get, you know, getting off your medications, becoming metabolically healthy. And that's the holy grail of the whole thing is, is getting your health back and then staying at, at a comfortable weight where you're not overweight and unhealthy. Yeah, I think, um, are you a proponent of, um, testing? Because I think a lot of times we connotate success with how many pounds we're losing and we don't necessarily pay attention to our markers, like going to the doctor and getting an assessment of our, um, our blood glucose, getting an assessment of our, um, what is it? What is another marker that I'm thinking of? Yeah, uh, A1C. A1C, yeah. Sure. Yeah, I think everybody needs to get those done at least annually. And if if someone's obese, you know, with with a with high BMI, a, a big belly, you know, way more than 40 inches, they need to they need to know where they're at. Most most likely, people that look like that have already been told by their doctors. You know, their blood pressure's too high, their cholesterol's too high. They they just they're they're just a wreck inside, and they need to get that under control way more than their weight. Although it all it all goes hand in hand, you know. But yeah, just losing scale weight without thinking long term and, and getting your metabolic markers checked is, is just kind of silly. Yes. So it, it all needs to go hand in hand. Yeah, one of the good things you did in your book too is you mentioned you kind of mentioned a lot of different diets that are out there now, and I think you had maybe your top three out of out of maybe four because you had yours. And then you had, you had a couple of three that were, um, that you thought really highly of. And I was surprised by one of them, but can you discuss those three that you, you thought really highly of? So when I first started writing this book, what I thought I was going to do was go to like Weight Watchers or one of those websites, figure out how they worked and then hack those diets and make a book out of that. But what I found when I started looking at these programs is, There, there was about 15 programs I found, like Jenny Craig and Nutrisystem and all those. Most of those are just total scams. They're not even really a diet. They, they're, you know, they provide you food with a certain calories, 
put in little fine print that you also have to exercise, and then they show results, and then in fine print says results not typical. <laughs> you know, and they're just based on viral marketing. They're just getting new customers and, and repeat customers and trying to make money. But there were a couple that are old programs, Weight Watchers, Atkins, and then a new one is called Slimming World. Slimming World came from England, and that was their kind of their version of Weight Watchers. It's got about the same history. But those three diets, I mean, really work. And uh, they're basically free. You get on their website, everything is free. There's a social support built in. There's, there's web, you know, there's um, forums. And, and then you can pay a little bit more money to talk to people. You know, those, those diet programs are actually great. I, I was really surprised when I started digging into them. Yeah, I was really surprised about Atkins because Atkins gets such a raw deal. You don't hear a lot, a lot of good things about Atkins, but I know it does work. But I was yeah. surprised that you, you know, you put it in there. And I think an uh, offshoot of Atkins is uh, a diet that's real big right now. And you talk about it in the book as well as the carnivore diet where people are eating just meat. And I think one of your colleagues, yeah, is a, yeah, is a real, real proponent of of just eating meat. So I want to yep. talk, yeah, talk about that a little bit because again, from speaking with you two years ago and changing my mindset about, <clears throat> excuse me, what I thought was possible to just eat potatoes and lose weight. And then now we're leaking, we're leaping into another paradigm where we're saying that you don't even have to eat carbs. You can just eat meat and be healthy. So one thing with the carnivore diet, I, I was always against it every time I heard people talking about it. I thought they were nuts. But then I, I watched several people that I know do this diet, and they stayed healthy. And, they, and their markers, are, it seemed like they were doing okay on a carnivore diet. And uh, like we talked earlier, the body is pretty amazing, and the gut is very important. So the gut can actually get nourishment. Or the you know the bacteria in the gut that keeps us healthy by just eating meat, and there there's parts of meat that are just like the fiber that's in a potato. There there's you know the 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 I, I don't even know the the technical names for it, but there's um, certain components of meat that feed gut bacteria and help the gut stay healthy. So I'm I'm kind of watching the carnivore diet skeptically, um, and I think. One thing with the carnivore diet is you're eating no processed foods. As long as you're not eating bacon and sausage, you're eating real meat, you know, cuts of meat, organ meat, liver, kidneys, and, you know, muscle meat, fish, fowl, and all that. I think it's healthier than most other diets because, like the paleo diet, look at how many bars, paleo cells now, snacks and stuff, paleo-approved processed meats. It's like, it's just crazy. With the with the carnivore diet, if they're you know just eating good good cuts of meat and organ meat, I think that's uh, actually a pretty healthy a healthier approach to to dieting. I don't and I, I can say the jury's still out how that would be long term. I wouldn't try it, but I do know a lot of people that have tried it, and I think it's going to be big soon. I think when keto fizzles out and people are looking for something different, I think that. Uh, the carnivore diet is probably going to get the spotlight for a while. Do you think that certain diets work for certain people and certain ones won't work for certain people? Because I think one of the things that we do in our society, we try to do this blanket thing where, and I see a lot of people do that with keto and then they get on keto and, they, and it doesn't agree with them. And they said the diet is bad, but is the diet really bad or is the diet just bad for you as an individual? Yeah, I think that that is a hundred percent correct. Um, Everybody is just so different, you know, and even what works for one person for a while might not work for a long time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you might lose weight on the keto diet, but you should probably shift into, you know, eating more, you know, carbs and fiber as, as time goes on. But yeah, everybody, I think, I think there's a diet for everybody. And I think the big thing is, is if you're trying to lose weight, you're obese, you have a high BMI and bad metabolic markers, you go on a diet. If you're not losing the weight as you predicted, you need to get off of that diet and get onto something that you can follow. Because, uh, yeah, if you you get on the keto diet and you're eating bacon and butter because you really like it and you're gaining weight or you're feeling sick, it's like that's that's not a good diet. You know, just because it's called keto and you read a keto book doesn't mean that that's the best for you. 
So yeah, I think people react differently, and I think uh, you know personalized approach to dieting is is really important. But I think mostly it just comes down to people's uh, preference for the foods that they're eating. Mm-hmm. You know, if you like like the Mediterranean diet. I mean, a lot of people don't like any of those foods. They don't like olive oil and olives and the seafood, you know, so they're not going to do good with the Mediterranean diet. But I think everybody can find a diet that's, that's good for them. Yeah. Two more questions to ask you, and then I'm, I'm going to get you off here. I know your time is valuable. Before we talk about your diet, I wanted to talk about this whole, because this is one study I haven't seen, and it was in your book about cannabis, uh, using cannabis for for weight loss. And I think that you mentioned the study in there where they, that was done. And, and what were the results of that? I, I don't, I think the, the correlation was that heavy, that, that cannabis, recreational cannabis users aren't more prone to, to weight gain than anybody else. Maybe, you know, it's protective a little bit of weight gain, but this, yeah, the jury's still out on cannabis and weight because we haven't been able to study cannabis for, for so many years. Mm-hmm. And now, now, now the next big thing is CBD. So in, in the human gut is CBD receptors, not the gut, but the brain throughout the whole body. So it's possible that any talk of cannabis helping with weight is really related to CBD. Yeah. And, uh, I know big pharma would love to come up with a CBD pill and then stop everybody from selling it over the counter and make a pill out of it, and regulate it heavily and make lots of money. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's it's interesting cannabis. So it's going to happen with that over the next ten years as it as it becomes more mainstream. Yeah, I had someone on and we talked uh, exclusively about CBD oil, and she had some clients that were on it that were reporting that they were, in fact, losing weight by using it. So I thought that that was really interesting. Last question is your diet. Your is it called a so or sow or how do you pronounce it or s a s o w? Right. Yeah. So well, you know. It's spelled sow like the pig, you know, mm-hmm. so that's kind of the joke. But, you know, I kind of made it seem like it's pronounced so, like you're sowing the seeds of success, right? You know, right, that's what I'm It's kind of, kind of a play on words there. But, yeah, I mean, sugar, oil, and wheat. Get rid of those three things in your life, and you, you'll probably lose weight and remain lean forever because th- those are the three cheapest ingredients, and that's what food processors base nearly all of their food on. That, that they crammed on our throats. Look through, look through the, you know, all those grocery aisles in the center of the supermarket. Look in your pantry at the, at the junk that's in there. It's all got sugar, oil, and wheat because, I mean, those, those are what they call commodity ingredients. You know, they're traded on the stock market, wheat and oil and, and that. And, uh, you, they're so versatile. You can add, you know, the chemicals to them and make virtually anything out of sugar, oil, and wheat. So if you like to read, food labels, you know, instead of looking at the carb content or the fat content, just look at the ingredients. And if you see sugar, oil, and wheat listed in the ingredients, especially when you see all three of those listed in the ingredients, stay away from that food. And that's basically the Nova category four foods. You know, it's sugar, oil, and wheat, the commodity foods with all the chemicals and stuff in there. So yeah, you can make a diet plan around that real easy. And, uh, and, and it works just right away. You know, anybody who's listening to this, if you are obese and you, and the doctor's been telling you you need to lose weight and you've been looking for a diet, just start looking at the foods you eat. And if you see sugar, oil, and wheat, get rid of all of that for at least a month or two and watch what happens to your weight. I guarantee you'll lose weight. Yeah. I would, I would be fair to say that that would be a great plan of attack. <laughs> just like I asked you earlier, but I think that's a great plan of attack because most people are, addicted to sugar and then we have all the bad oils and of course you see i think i always call us like a a bread crazy society everybody likes bread and wheat and all of this stuff and i know that for me personally when i eliminated bread from my diet that's the biggest thing that helped me kind of maintain my weight and i haven't had weight any weight problems in over in many many years yep and with that the sow so there's nothing wrong with sugar. The sugar that's in a banana or apple is fine. You can eat all that. There's really nothing wrong with oil. Olive oil is healthy. Fish oil, you know, the oil that's in salmon is healthy for you. And there's nothing wrong with wheat. You could eat all the wheat that you wanted. If you, you know, boiled up the grains and made a porridge out of it, wheat is a very healthy food. But they take those foods and they just strip them of everything. You know, they industrially process them. The wheat is, isn't 
in that food because it's a good food. It's in there because it's so versatile for the food manufacturers. They can make it taste, you know, they can make it crispy, crunchy. They can make it taste like fat. They can, you know, just give it all these mouthfeels that, that are competing with real food at the supermarket because they want you to buy, like we said, goldfish crackers instead of bananas. Tell Steele, it has been a pleasure interviewing you for the diet hack and i believe your book we're actually doing this interview on the third your book comes out on july 4th which is tomorrow yep sure does yep so it'll be available on amazon and you also i think when i interviewed you a while back you didn't really have a website but i went and did some research and found out that you have a website now what's the the web address for your site oh yeah so you can find me at the dietheck.com or also um the potatohack.com and uh yeah, the dietheck.com will get you to my websites. They're all kind of linked together. Okay. Is there anything else you wanted to add before we end here tonight? No, I just I just hope people read the book and, and read it in the spirit that it's intended. It's, it's not a diet book per se, but it's just a book about why diets fail. Because 95% of diets fail. You could argue that a keto person might say that they have a a higher percentage for their program, but I'll bet you if you really look, they don't. I bet 95% is a really good figure and it's probably even low. And diets just don't work unless you take the whole, the whole thing into account. You know, the food that you eat, the, the, the diet that you're following, your gut health, sleep, stress, and get some exercise, being mindful of your genetics and, uh, diseases, medicines we're taking, all that stuff. It's, it's just all, it's all connected. It's all there. A diet isn't going to be the thing that you need for, for lasting health. You need to get it all under control, get everything under control, and then you can uh, find lasting weight loss and health. Yeah, I, thought, I thought you did a really thorough job of the book because, like I said, you went above and beyond. You're not just... Talking about the diets in theory, you're saying, you know, why they work, why some may not work, but you also go into exercise in many different areas. So I thought the book was a really good book for someone who is not just only looking for theory and maybe what to eat. They're looking for the whole, whole thing, the whole shebang, uh, with, you know, why the diets don't work and how they can maintain the weight loss that they have in the future. So yeah, well, thanks. Real good job. Thank you, Tim. Thank you for being on. Thanks, Darren. Great, great that you had me on here. Uh, I'm not a big listener of podcasts, but yours is one that I'm always sure to catch because I love the guests that you have. They, uh, they speak to All right. Thank you so much for listening, Tim. Thanks a lot. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Purchase new wiper blades from O'Reilly Auto Parts today and we'll install them for free. See better and drive safer with O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.